do have a guest speaker today, Randall Worley. Uh, Randall's spoken here two or three times. Randall pastored down in uh, Pineville at a church called LifeSpring for mega years. Uh, and then he left that about, what, five years ago? Eight or, eight or nine years ago, he left pastoring, and he travels all over the world now. And uh, it's just really a great treat to get Randall because he's a good friend, and he's got a lot of revelation uh, and, and brings a, a different view on a lot of things, which I, that's what I love. I'm, I'm looking for people to tell me something and let, help me see it from a different perspective. So we're really thankful. When Randall completes his message today, we're going to take up an offering for him because we like to bless you know, guest speakers, and so if while you're while he's speaking, you know, you ask the Lord, and, and if you were supposed to give him something, we're going to pass the the plates around, and you can put some money in there, and all the money that we take for this offering will be for him. But we'll do it after he speaks. That way, if he doesn't do good, <laughs> no, it just can. If he completely flops, we're going to bless him. Amen. But he's not going to flop because this guy is really something awesome. Let's give Randall a big hand. Thank you. Always good to be at River Life. Good morning, River Life. You know, of all the churches that I go to, this is one of the best Baptist churches I've ever <laughs> been in my life. <laughs> so appreciate Byron and Becky. I, uh, my wife is unable to be with us here this morning. Um, I think she maybe has been with me on at least one of my previous visits. Uh, she is in town, or in the region at least, she's spending the day with three of her grandchildren. So whenever she has to make a decision as to whether or not she's going to go and listen to me or be with her grandchildren, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I um, really appreciate a culture that emphasizes testimony. As you probably have been taught very well, uh, testimony is something that in many cases has been relegated to something that we just do when it seems maybe that it may in some way elicit some sort of dramatic response out of people. But inherent in the word testimony, especially as it's used in the Old Testament, it implies to us that it has the power that every time that it is rehearsed that it can replicate itself. And uh, I won't linger very long there because there's too much to be said about that and I have another direction that I'd like to go in in the next few minutes if you would permit me. But I think probably sometimes there is a tendency for us with our logical, analytical, uh, rationale-wired minds to sometimes suppress certain testimonies for fear that we might go over the edge of exaggeration. Some time ago, I was writing about the grace of God, and as I was just tapping along on my keyboard, I withdrew my hands for a moment, thinking that I might be embellishing, that I might be exaggerating a bit. And the very moment that I did that, I felt him whisper to me that it would be impossible for me to exaggerate anything that he's ever done because there's not a human being that has ever had a pulse that has possessed the vocabulary that is adequate to articulate fully and clearly everything that God has done. So uh, that should position your minds to understand that I have been issued a license to exaggerate. <laughs> You can get yours issued today if you would like. They're available. No age limit. I got a testimony just about three weeks ago that I want to share with you. I've been sharing everywhere I go. I was actually in a meeting, I believe, and I got a text from a friend of mine who's a revivalist up in Massachusetts, in Pepperell, Massachusetts. And um, I was so honored that I was the first one that he sent this text to. They have a school of the supernatural there that they like you, are going after and developing a supernatural culture. And they started out um, with very meager beginnings. But I do believe that we're living in a time right now where God is doing things in an exponential way. 
and your enthusiasm on that statement was rather underwhelming, but it is, it's, <laughs> it's true all the same. Uh, Paul would say, uh, you know, this man possesses an unbelievable ability to articulate uh, information, and he says concerning the greatness of God that it exceeds itself. He's always exceeding himself, the exceeding greatness of God. So when I got this text from my friend, he let me know that one of the interns in their school uh, who they had been training and they had been uh, giving them the latitude to make mistakes. I'm so glad that God's house is not child-proofed. He's not concerned about you making a mess. He'd rather you try than not. And so uh, he said that one of the students came upon an accident there in Massachusetts. And uh, they stopped the car, got out to investigate and see what was going on. And when they arrived, the accident had happened at least a half hour or 45 minutes prior to their arrival. And there are a group of paramedics that were gathered around this gentleman that they found out later that they'd been working on him for 15 minutes. Now, I'm not that familiar with that particular uh, line of work, but from my limited experience, it seems to me that when a paramedic comes upon a situation like that, they are required to work, and they are not allowed to stop trying to resuscitate or revive someone uh, because they do not have the authority to, uh, to pronounce someone dead. But they've been working on this individual for 15 minutes and had not gotten a pulse. No pulse, no respiration, no vital signs whatsoever. And uh, this young person was standing there observing this, and she began to gather the information. And uh, she stomped her foot. I forget now whether it was a man or a woman. It doesn't make any difference. She stomped her foot and said, That's enough. Get up. And uh, the man took a big gasp of air. His face that was blue and discolored now turned rosy pink, and he stands up, and the paramedics are absolutely stupefied by it. Now, that's the, listen, they've had three of those in the last 30 days. Yeah, in the last 30 days. I'm going there next month. I can't wait. Because one of the things, first things I'm going to do is I'm going to search these people out and I'm going to say, you need to lay hands on me. I want some of that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. So I, I, want to, I want to encourage you here this morning. I want to challenge you. That's what I came to do. I'm on a mission from God. And I'm not one of the Blues Brothers, but I am on a mission <laughs> from God to challenge you this morning. Are you ready to be challenged? Or are you comfortable where you are? There's a, certainly a security and sameness, isn't there? Uh, we don't realize unconsciously sometimes we just find ourselves almost on autopilot, just moving in the same manner with the same motions as we have for so long. And we're totally unconscious to it until somebody makes us aware of it we get a proverbial wake-up call. Am I talking to the right audience today? You know, the emphasis that your leadership has placed on pursuing the presence of God is of ultimate priority. There are a lot of churches in this region that are able to do what they've always done very efficiently and even gather great numbers of people absent of the presence of God. There was a period in the history of Israel, if you remember just following Saul's reign, when the ark was held in captivity for over a hundred years. The ark which was the centerpiece, the epicenter of all of the activity as it related to worship unto God because this is the throne of God. The glory of God did dwell between the wings of the cherubim. 
there on the mercy seat. For a hundred years it was in captivity, and for that hundred years, for an entire century, the nation of Israel was able to go through the motions. The priest took fire to the altar. They baked bread to put on the table of showbread. They kept the menorah, the lampstand lit. They continued to put uh, incense on the, on the golden altar of incense. They went through all of the liturgical practices that they had done for all those years since Moses without the presence of God. How many of you understand that practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent? Are you with me so far? But you have committed yourself to one singular focus, and that is the presence of God. So you understand, don't you, that what you fixate on determines what you miss. What you focus on determines what you miss. So this morning, I'd, I'd like for you to turn to a passage of Scripture. If the gentleman back there in the video booth can, uh, can help me, uh, I'd like for you to turn, if you would, to the 25th chapter of Matthew. And while you're turning there, I would be remiss, and I don't do this very often, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge some of my friends that are sitting right back there. Some of them came from Siler City and some of them all the way from Monroe. And uh, I want you to welcome our friends that uh, you can meet them later. The stars and Martians. Great people. They follow me around, uh, at least when I'm in driving distance, which is not that often. What I want to talk to you about has to do with increasing your risk tolerance. I have come to understand over the years that the things you teach the best are the things you need to know the most. We have this tendency to think that it's not until I have fully comprehended something am I qualified to communicate it, and I don't agree with that. After some 36 years of being a communicator, being a teacher, I've, I've come to understand that the learning process often happens in the moment. It's amazing to me over the years, uh, I've had this happen, I don't know how many times people will come to me after a meeting and they'll say, you know what you said about this and this and this, and they rehearse what they thought I said, and I never said anything of the kind. I'm standing there as they're rehearsing what they thought I said, thinking, I wish I had said that. But what they heard and what I said were in two entirely different things. Now, I believe that what God wants to do for, I mean, there's not a person in this room that is, is, is exempt from some of the things I'm going to address here. He wants to increase our risk tolerance. He wants us to come to understand if you never did anything, you couldn't undo. Now, think about that. If you never did anything, you couldn't undo. You'd wind up doing nothing at all. And it's not until you risk going too far that you become aware of how far you could have gone. Have you ever noticed when you're reading through the Gospels, have you guys found that passage of Scripture, Matthew 25, beginning with about verse 14? I'll join you there in a minute. This is typical for me to tell you where the text is and talk on for a long time. I think sometimes, uh, you know, when it comes to teaching, quite often we forget that like in worship, we're trying our best to find a certain rhythm that is already there. I had the image some months ago as I was sitting before the Lord, the image of children on a playground two children with one of the big jump ropes that will accommodate several. And they're making these rotations again and again like that. And uh, you remember those days when you were compelled when you would see that because you wanted to jump? <laughs> and you did something like this. You approached and you waited your turn. And when you got your turn, 
you stood there. You didn't just step right in. You stood there for a moment and you began to do this. Because you're trying to calibrate yourself with the rhythm. And then when you step into it, it is somewhat effortless. And so maybe we are going to be able to find the rhythm of the jump rope here <clears throat> this morning and see what he would say to us. Now, what I was about to say before I read this verse of scripture, before you interrupted me, this is what I was about to say. <clears throat> it is amazing to me when I'm reading through the gospels, especially the parables, which dominate the copy of, of the gospels, Jesus could say so much with so few words. In the time that it takes you to read it, sometimes the parable, which is rather lengthy that I'm going to read. So if you haven't, uh, if, you're being, if you're under condemnation right now because you hadn't done enough Bible reading, we should get, caught, get you caught up for a day or so. But when we read these, these parables sometimes, we read them in a matter of seconds. I'm not sure that Jesus delivered them quite succinctly, whether he did it so quickly, because I'm sure, even though most of what he said was truly profoundly simple, yet simply profound, that he waited, he had pregnant pauses in his teaching. You read it with continuity and, and quickly. But sometimes I think that maybe he would utter a statement and just let it hang in the air so that they could marinate in it for a moment. That he would make these profound statements and declarations and in doing so, he would watch their responses and their faces to see if they were dialing in to the frequency on which he was communicating. Do you sense that? You don't understand that, um, and I, I didn't get this until just probably about six months ago. I was standing in front of an audience and I said, I'd like for you to turn to a passage of Scripture and I cited the passage of Scripture. And as soon as the word passage came out of my mouth, I realized that for years I had referred to certain portions of Scripture as passages and never really considered why. And so, you know, I keep a running dialogue in my head even while I'm talking that explains a lot to you, doesn't it, so far? <laughs> but it's true these are passages in the same way there are certain passages that grant you entrance to places beyond where you are, thresholds of truth. These are The pages of Scripture are not just black ink on white paper, but they represent thresholds of truth or certain passages where we can move from what we have lived in and considered to be reality, which in most cases is nothing more than an illusion, into the greater reality of the way God sees things. Does that make sense to you? Now, before I move on, you know, I was thinking about sometimes I have the tendency, uh, and my wife certainly enjoys it when I am speaking romantically to her, but sometimes when I'm up in front of an audience, she's not so fond of my tendency to be verbose because she uh, understands that I have this tendency to want to over-explain things because I'm desperate for people to understand. I w was reminded of that, you know, there are some things that may have great longevity that came in brevity. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, 150 years ago, in two minutes he spoke 217 words, the Gettysburg Address that now lives through the annals of history. Obviously, I have already used hundreds of words, so I can't promise you brevity, but I hope it has longevity. Okay? So, 
there in Matthew 25, for the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to read it rather quickly, and you can go back and digest it later. Uh, And some of you are already familiar with this. Uh, What Jesus is getting ready to do here is, in my opinion, was as relevant then as it is now. Because what he is in essence, what, what he's essence doing, and it's bleeding through his words, is he is seeking to increase these disciples' risk tolerance. Or we could also say that he is challenging them to release latent potential. There's not a person in this room that does not possess potential. Many of you have already determined what your limits are based on your perceived aptitude. But the limitations really as it relates to who you really are, not your persona. I'm talking about who you really are is unlimited. There are no limits. Everything that you will ever need, and I say this With great confidence, I've tried it. It's not a theory. Everything that you will ever need, listen to me closely, you already have right at this very moment. You have it at this very moment. You can do all things through Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And uh, these statements that seek to awaken in us those things that are latent and dormant are replete through the letters of the Apostle Paul. But we've heard them so long until they're worn smooth with familiarity. And we don't realize that he is really trying to awaken dormant things. What is, when we say something is dormant, what what are we implying? We're talking about something that has latent potential. It just has not reached its potential yet. I have not, you know, Byron was talking about my previous visits here and he said I hope that he doesn't flop (laughs) I I can't tell you how many places I've been to where people have come to me and they said you know especially if we had a product table and they would say uh, what is the very best thing you have back there and I said it's not here oh you didn't bring it with you can I order it I said no you can't order it and they look at me rather puzzled so what do you mean I'm asking for the very best thing you've done. I say, well, I haven't done it yet. Huh? I haven't done it yet. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his servants and delivered his goods to him. Keep it scrolling, if you will. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. It's very important for you to... Think on that for a moment. And immediately he went into on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained you five more talents besides them. His Lord said in him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Which I want to pause here long enough to say about that last phrase that we have relegated that to somewhere in the distant future. Entering into the joy of the Lord. Entering into the joy of the Lord, I don't believe that Jesus was implying that this is something that is a bait and switch situation that eventually one day we're going to enter into the joys of the Lord if we are faithful and we endure when really in reality he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly and his mission for us is not to endure life but to enjoy it. The joy of the Lord is my present inheritance, not my future inheritance. 
It's not about me working for, eventually to experience favor. It's about not, not working for favor, but working from favor. All right? So let's read on. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, to the Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Let me pause there for a minute. When he called him wicked, that seems to be pretty strong language, doesn't it? Everybody say wicked. When you say the word wicked, you think of a many of a number of different things. That word has the connotation of many different things that maybe you've missed the point altogether. There are some of you here this morning that had hands lifted high with a mouth full of praise that are wicked. I knew that would get your attention. <laughs> I don't mean wickedly good. <laughs> the word wicked means twisted. It gives an entirely different connotation, doesn't it? Well, maybe this is taking semantic liberty here, but I think I could make a case for it, even though I won't take time to do anything other than just to say this. You've seen wicker furniture? Wicker furniture? It's something that's been twisted and contorted, right? It's amazing, isn't it? See, I've had him to say that to me. You're being wicked. You've got a distorted view of yourself, and that, as a result, is influencing your perception of me. You think the way you see things are, is the way it is, and it's really just the way you see it, and it's influencing the way you are experiencing what I'm inviting you to do is to see things. Is this making sense to you at all? I'm inviting you to see things the way I see it because most of the things that we have concluded are problems are not problems at all. No, they're not problems at all. They're opportunities. And the reason why the problem has presented itself to you is because he's trying to awaken something that is latent in you that has the ability to solve it. How many of you, every problem you've ever had, you've always been present? True? You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who has abundance. Remember I told you I was talked about increasing your risk tolerance. I talked to you about understanding, and I make sometimes these, these axioms, that, and I just keep right on moving, and I have to come back to it and make sure that this nail is not only flush, but it's countersunk and cannot work its way out. It's not until you risk going further than you've ever been that you will ever come to understand how far you can really go. And that, listen, that relates on so many different levels. Let me finish reading. For everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All right, I'm done with that. Thank you. Now, I think probably I have made enough statements, at least to this point, that have had some degree of shock value for you. If I haven't, I can give you more. Because it is my opinion that there are a lot of things that, that many of us find ourselves waiting on to come from without that God has already inherently put in us in the divine nature. And he is forever leading us into situations, as I said a moment ago, that will trigger 
that will awaken that latent ability. It is true, as the Eastern mysticists say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And many of you, I, I have it on good authority as I was praying for you this morning, have reached the point where you will no longer have to say how much longer. That with many of you has been your mantra even for months and years. How much longer? If I were to survey this, this audience this morning and ask you how many of you have you been waiting on something that you know has the potential to totally alter and change your life, I'm sure that I would get very responsive because all of you, the young and the old, there is no one that is exempt from this that is waiting on something. What are you waiting on right now? And how long have you been waiting? Waiting wears on you, doesn't it? Waiting sometimes is so emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausting that you get to the point that you even forgot what was originally promised. And you need to know now, and this is just a little sidebar to what I want to get into here. You need to know now that sometimes God deliberately, intentionally, intentionally waits for you to forget what he promised so that he has the joy of reminding you. Because we all live in this conundrum. We all live in this constant vacillating in our thinking where we find ourselves struggling to, to you know, remember what we should forget and forgetting what we should remember. Right? I've just got really good news for you if you're interested in it this morning. Because, see, it is so important to see that what happens in you while you wait is as important as what you're waiting for. Because that is really what he has fixed his attention on is what is happening in you while you wait. Now, Jesus, in this parable, he has captivated, as he did every time, he has captivated the attention of those whose ears this parable falls on. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time discussing this, but I think it's worthy of note that why is it that Jesus is continually teaching in parables? Scores of them. Now, there are a number of different plausible answers for that. Parables. And these parables, the word para and bowl, which means to throw down alongside. Remember, I told you when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It, it, he is really, what he is doing as he is unpacking this is he is helping them to understand that most of what they've been looking for has been hidden in plain sight. I want to submit to you that this is a great discovery when we talk about the presence of God. And see, you have to be fully present in order to experience the presence of God. The presence of God is omnipresent, but He is not manifest until you are fully present, till you're in the now here. Right? And so, again, he does hide things in plain sight. He doesn't conceal them from us, but he does conceal them for us. The issue has to do with our consciousness and our awareness. Are you still with me? And so as he begins to unfold this story, they are familiar with the characters that remain anonymous. He talks about a king that goes into a far country. He talks about three servants. This is all something that they are too very well familiar with in the culture, the caste system that exists there, that you were either born of privilege or you weren't. That's just the way it was. We're not talking about a culture where capitalism was an idea that was propagated. No, we're talking about a kingdom culture of kings and vassals. 
And there are certain parts of the world that you've been to, and as well as I've been to, where those, those ancient caste systems still have never been broken. They're still there. If you weren't born with privilege, then you're not going to get privilege. You're not going to get an opportunity. And so this is almost heretical when Jesus begins. And have you ever noticed that when Jesus is teaching that there is an obvious tension in his audiences? He is so unpredictable. There was, have you, do you read the Gospels like that? I read the Gospels now, and I just, you know, as I enter into the characters and enter into the psyche of the people that are hearing him teach, quite often I find myself feeling uneasy. Because wherever Jesus was, there was that sense of uneasiness. Why? Because you didn't know what he was going to say next. And he is certainly going to challenge the cultural norms. He's going to challenge all of the old ideas. He is going to turn things totally upside down, or maybe he's turning it right side up. Right? You see, I believe it's because what he is demonstrating, not just trying to define it, but what he is demonstrating is the fact that faith and predictability cannot coexist together. Now see, now I am going to be a little vulnerable with you because I can tell you for the first half of my life, I have been more comfortable with things when I can predict it. When he's confronting my control issues now like never before. So just allow me to, you know, give my testimony here because I know all of you have already broken through all of this. Because every time he confronts me with these situations, it is revealing more control that is there that is keeping me from experiencing the exhilaration of unpredictability. <laughs> oh, just take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. Were these parables the product of Jesus' fertile imagination? Were they? No. Were they all true stories? Some scholars would debate upon that. I do believe that they were all true. I don't think that they were just a product of his overactive imagination. I think that they were all very true stories. In fact, more true than most stories that had been told as being true. Which leads me to ask you the question that he keeps asking me. Randall, who would you be? What could you possibly do without your story? Because we all have a story, don't we? And we think that that story defines us. We think that the story of who we were born to and where we were born and the conditions of our environment has limited who we are. But I came to tell you here this morning, without equivocation, that you didn't come from your parents, you came through them. And everything that has tried to shape you externally has tried to compress and confine and bury, as this wicked servant did, to bury who you are really are because the thing that causes our enemy to be in need of therapy is for you to wake up in the morning and really be awake to possibility and 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 to cast off this paradigm that you have had for so long that is forever trying to find a problem in every solution that God sends to you. What happens, I mean, we don't have given to us in the, in the narrative here, we don't have given to us, and it make, makes me wonder whether or not Matthew was... Uh, you know, if he left something out, 
that upsets a lot of people for me to suggest that maybe something was left out. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that I've upset people. You say, well, everything that Jesus said had to have been captured in that moment and he had to have taken good dictation and got it verbatim. Not necessarily so. If everything that Jesus ever did or said or, or, or everything that he did or said were captured, John would say, that there wouldn't be enough volumes in the world to contain it. Now, that does not seem plausible, does it, today? Maybe back then there would be enough books in the library. There wouldn't be enough libraries to hold everything that he did or said in that three-and-a-half-year period of time that describes his life in ministry. But do you remember what I said to you a few minutes ago? Because, see, we live in the information age where we can store enormous amounts of information on a single chip. And you say, well, I'm not sure that that may have been true then, but I don't think it's true now. But do you realize that Jesus could just say three words and you could spend the rest of your life trying to understand the depth just of those three words? <laughs> so maybe there is more in this story than meets the eye. Maybe Jesus was engaging them. Maybe he was telling them not a story about a king and a caste system and three servants, but he was talking to them about them. He had that uncanny ability, didn't he? The ability to talk to you about you and you not be aware that it was about you. <laughs> because that's what a parable is. It's a, both a window and a mirror. It's a window through which you are able to perceive greater realities beyond the confined space of your thinking like those windows there that let light in and enable you to see out but they're also mirrors so that you can see the greater reality of who you are he's not reflecting something you're not that's why you know it's important for us to seek the face of God what does that mean to seek the face of God I can promise you that if you seek the face of God, what you will find. You won't find contempt. You won't find disdain. You won't find a furrowed brow. You won't find a grimace. You won't find a face flushed with embarrassment. No, you won't find any of those things. Now, religion has put that face on him, but that's a case of mistaken identity. The reason why most people don't know their identity is because there's a mistaken identity concerning him. So mistaken identity has resulted in identity theft in you. You will find... Listen, it, it was, it's seen in the face of Jesus because Paul would say the glory of God did shine in the face of Jesus. If you see his face, you see affirmation. <laughs> yeah. You see incredible, intense fascination and affirmation with who you are and what he desires for you to become. I remember, I'm sorry, I've got to get this, this personal reference. I remember when my boys were growing up, and they all played, uh, you know, di different sports. I remember so well when I would go to the gym or I'd go to the field that whenever they did something that was worthy of affirmation, they could look up into the hundreds, sometimes thousands of people in the stands. They knew where their daddy's face was. Because they knew that when they looked at me, whether, and see, I learned this early on, whether it was something that was worthy of affirmation or whether it was worthy of accusation, <laughs> I knew how to look at them in such a way. And that is what began to shape their understanding of their true identity. You say, what has that got to do with the parables? It's got everything in the world to do with the parable because at the end, the wicked servants, what did he say? He said, I knew that you were an austere man. I knew that you were a hard man. Was he right? We assume that he was right. No, he wasn't. 
He wasn't right. Is there dialogue that goes on between these three? Is it possible that there is a that there is an envy? There is tension there because one gets five, one gets two, and one gets one? Probably so because if you've got more than one human being in any space, there is the potential for that, isn't there? And the reason being is because they're focused on the wrong thing. He said he gave them, he dispensed these gifts to them, everyone according to his ability. There, you know, see, there are a lot of people that don't understand that the, the, the focus should not be on, you know, your ability, but the one who gives the ability. There are people in this room right now that you consider yourself a one-talent person in comparison to somebody else who may be a five-talent person. And I don't want to get into the significance of five, two, and one. You can work it out later because you can do simple math, can't you? <clears throat> Huh? But see, the, the emphasis is wrong. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture that God is forever using those who seem to be significant, insignificant, to do incredibly significant things? It is not the wise. Come on now. But it is the foolish things of the world. And Paul selects an interesting word there when he uses the word foolish because it is the Greek word from which we get the word moron, moros. God chooses those things that are moronic to confound the wise. The weak, the invalid, those that feel as if they are mental and emotional invalids to manifest and display his power. Now I'm getting passionate about this. You know, I, listen, I can tell you an experience I had several months ago. I was driving down the road and I'd been going through a protracted season where everything seemed to be just draining every battery that I had mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I was spent running on fumes, whatever metaphor you want to use. I mean, I was out of gas and I'm driving down the road and I'm so incredibly weak. And I know the verses of scripture that have to do with weakness. Let the you know, poor say I'm rich. Let the weak say I'm strong. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. But isn't it interesting that when you get in that state of mind that nothing matters and nothing has any meaning to it at all. <laughs> and you, you, know, you almost find yourself restraining yourself from the urge of beating someone about the head and shoulders when they come up and remind you of scriptures that you already know. And you know them better than they do. And you know the verse before and the verse after. And it's just not working, right? You don't need any more scripture. You don't need anybody coming up to you and saying, Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> and I heard him whisper to me. He said, Why are you resisting being weak? Because your resistance to being weak is making you weaker. Embrace it. Embrace it. Recognize that there's something buried in you that is about to break through. I mean, the guy with five could have said, oh my goodness. You know, he could have obsessed over this. He gave me five, he gave this one two, and that one one. He's expecting far more. But see, his trust was not in his ability, but his trust was what, what had been deposited, what had been given to him. What you have will work. What you have will work. He's getting ready to release something here this morning that many of you have been waiting on for a long, long time. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Yeah. Sleepers. I mean, that, that term is used to describe... Uh, a number of different things. You know, sometimes when we think of it in terms of the terrorist community, 
but there are sleepers in this room that suddenly come to that state of being fully awake to the potential that God has given them. But then you're going to be faced with the risk of what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have a, uh, a ministry team here, people that have been trained and seasoned in that area. But, and there, I just sense that there are some of you that have watched others that have moved with such confidence and, uh, and uh, such efficiency in certain areas as it relates to ministering to people. And uh, you have allowed that. You've allowed that to create this spirit of comparison. And if I were the enemy, that's exactly, that's, that's the thing I would do to you. To keep that which was within you suppressed. It's time for many of you who have been suppressing for a long time to go ahead and express. Without the fear, without the fear of what people will think. Without the fear of what the results might be. Remember again what I said. It's not until you risk doing things that cannot be undone that you really discover what could be done. Some of the most successful people in, uh, in America are not necessarily people that were always the brightest, but they were the ones that were willing to take risk. And they were willing to take risk in economies and environments where everything was against them. The odds were totally against them. I can't, <laughs> this was not something that I had thought of coming into this meeting, but I was eating KFC the other night, and, uh, and I'm looking at the picture of Colonel Sanders on the side of the box. <laughs> this is real profound. <laughs> I'm looking at Colonel Sanders on the side of the box, and I remembered the story of him a man who had really not accomplished anything stellar in his life until he was 65 years old, and he gets his first Social Security check, and he has the idea to risk it all to start the business. I'd say it did pretty good. <laughs> it did pretty good. He took the risk, didn't he? So, so some of you this morning, as we come to a, a close here, you... You know who you are. You, you, you've sensed this uneasiness in you. You even sometimes, you know, I feel like that some of you have uh, for quite a long time too have been extremely irritable and your friends and family don't understand what the deal is. And this irritation is not something that is coming necessarily from the enemy as much as it is God is getting ready to open that closed soul of yours like an oyster and a pearl is going to pop out. Because it's going to be a pearl of great price. You get, are you with me on that? You do understand the way that a pearl is formed. Is, it is not just as a result of a singular grain of sand somehow invading this, this oyster. Not just that. And then it bleeds. It literally bleeds. It doesn't bleed red blood, but it bleeds or secretes a substance that over time, layer after layer after layer after layer after layer, the thing that was there that came into the soft tissue. If you've ever... Does anybody here like raw oysters? I love them. Yeah. I mean, I've been right down there in oyster beds and cracked them open right there. It don't get any fresher than that. But when there's anything you know about an oyster, when you crack it open, that was a great picture for you, wasn't it, right before lunch? <laughs> if there's anything you know about an oyster, when you crack it open, there's that soft tissue there, right? It's so soft and almost jelly-like. And so God has let... Some of these things invade, right? 
And over time, he's layered and layered and layered and layered because he is getting ready to produce a pearl of great price. If I could go to the book of Revelation and tell you, and you don't want me to spend too much time there, but in the book of Revelation, the entrance to the city is, it is made of gates of pearl. And uh, I've, hmm, I have to be careful here because I don't want to wreck your eschatology. But I tell you, to me, that speaks more than just some city that is beyond the black hole of space that is rotating out there waiting to come down on heaven. But it has to do with the unveiling of the revealing of how you fully enter into the kingdom of God. And it, you know, through much tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And so God has been creating that, but he's getting ready to crack you open. The only thing, though, go ahead and stand. The only th- that was your invitation to stand. The only thing that's not the only thing is this pearl of great price that we mentioned, but it also the way it's made, but it it also usually the really good ones are found in depths because it's the combination of what's going on inside and the things that are going on outside is the pressure of the water that is coming to bear all around it. It's pressure within, it's pressure without, but it's producing a pearl. It's something that's hidden that he's getting ready to release. Have I helped anybody here yet this morning? Good. So, Lord, I just ask you for a significant download of optimism. I ask for a significant download here this morning, Lord, of I can do it. That it's come my way, not because it's in my way, but it's come my way because it was a part of my way. (laughs) This is the way that I'm in. It is before me because you want to make of me a testimony of the truth that I am an overcomer. Because if I never had anything to overcome, if he didn't give me anything to overcome, then eventually I'd be overcome by complacency. So I thank you for putting this in my way. Come on now. I thank you for putting this in my way. I thank you that I am more than able I thank you, Lord. I'm not going to bury myself in it. I'm not going to be buried by it. I am going to look at it for what it is, and I'm going to know without question, Lord, that this is not something I'm going to stumble over, but it's something going to, that is going to give me traction for the days ahead. You've got to hear that. You've got to hear that God is getting ready to take the trouble that he has allowed to filter in through his sovereign will into your life to give you traction. It's here to give you traction. Yeah. Do understand that God is more, far more than an optimist about you because, see, optimism is a word that applies to those who have hopeful thoughts concerning the future. They're trying to stay positive, but God is far more than an optimist because he is the future. Did you hear what I said? How many of you'd like to be more optimistic? Yes. Would you like to get to the place where you be you are able to, and it's in your inheritance. It really is where you can begin to see what you believe, rather than believing everything that you see. Because if you can't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. (laughs) The one with the five and the two, evidently they were able to see it. Huh? They were able to see it. (laughs) Lord, we just thank you this morning. (laughs) I (laughs) I keep thinking about the story. I guess it's a true story. It's really a parable about the plumber that first time he visited Niagara Falls, he didn't know anything about Niagara Falls, never heard of Niagara Falls, and somebody took him there for the first time without any preparation. And as soon as he saw Niagara Falls, this plumber said, I think I can fix it. <laughs> I love that. I think I can fix it. Yeah. 
Lord, we do thank you for increase. Not from without, from within. We thank you that we are the windows of heaven. That the windows of heaven are not above us and that you're going to open us the windows of heaven and pour out of us a blessing that cannot be contained. Thank you for overflowing. Thank you for overflowing. Lord, I thank you for those people this morning that you showed me that had shingles or those who had had reoccurring issues with shingles. Is, can I see the hands of those people? Shingles. Okay. Is there another one? Have had and it's been reoccurring and there's been maybe the fear, sublimated fear that it may reoccur. Anybody else? Lord, I thank you right now that you drive the virus completely out of their body. Completely. That there would absolutely, I don't care what they've been told that has taken such a grip on their minds. I thank you, Lord, for a fire, a fire that consumes every vestige of it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I feel like that there's quite a number of people here this morning that have had uh, some issues with sleep, do- sleep disorders, at least a couple more things I got here. Sleep disorders, sleep apnea, not only sleep apnea, uh, but others who have, uh, yeah, I see that, yeah. Lord, we, we understand that this can either be pathological, psychological. It could be something, Lord, that is spiritual in nature. And you know the diagnosis for every one of these. And we thank you that the prescription and the dosage right now at this very moment is perfect. We had a woman in Wisconsin that had not been able to sleep horizontally for two years. She had to sleep upright. God healed her instantly. That, that night, she, the next night she came back, she slept. I slept 10 hours. Slept like I hadn't slept in years. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that right now. Thank you for that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Just let it settle in on you. Thank you, Lord. For those, uh, there's been something else we've been getting a lot of good results on lately. Uh, people with um, sleep, uh, not sleep disorders, but learning disabilities. The young and the older alike. I have a, I have a very dear friend that now travels the world. When I met him uh, 17 years ago, he had a severe learning disability. Came off the streets in Hollywood, wandered up to Northern California to the to. Uh, to Bethel there, 21, 22 years old. He had this terrible learning disability. God so restored his mind. I'll just spare you the details. So restored his mind that when he made his way back to the East Coast and into the community of the Ivy League up there in uh, the Boston area, Connecticut, and all around that area, he wound up by the sovereignty of God being tested at Harvard, and they concluded that he was a super genius. <sighs> I'm talking about somebody that had problems with dyslexia, all kinds of learning disabilities. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. Now he travels the world with world leaders, political leaders as well. He is tested at a genius level now. So I thank you for reversals in that. Lord, we do not accept, we do not accept in any way the natural diagnoses. We do not accept in any way what the doctors have said about the pathology of this or introduction of all manner of things into diet and that kind of stuff. Lord, we thank you right now for a reversal. We thank you, Lord, that you wipe out all dyslexia. We thank you, Lord, that you wipe out ADHD. We thank you, Lord. Yeah. Lord, I want, I want such high definition. I want such intense focus, Lord. I want that. You want that? Take it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I declare that the mind of the just is blessed. 
That's the declaration of His Word, and it will not return void. That your mind is blessed. That your memories are blessed. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For restoring our minds here this morning. In Jesus' name. One more thing. (laughs) Yeah. Someone who has been having a reoccurring problem, and maybe they've told you, I'm not sure whether or not you're going to have to have surgery. It has to do with the right side of your jaw. Uh, there's incredible pain. I don't know whether it's associated with the molars or with the jaw itself. Is that some? Is there someone here with that? That's you too. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Lord, I just thank you right now. Yeah. Mm. Lord, all the way down into the roots, into the nerve endings. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. For every injustice, Lord, that someone may be enduring right now, for every injustice, for every inequity, for every wrongdoing, for everything, Lord, that even maybe has already been settled by a judge in a court, I ask, Lord, for there to be miraculous reversals. I ask for there to be reversals. I ask for reversals. Lord, you have waited with many of them to, for it to get to the point where it is, in man's eyes, irreversible. And you love to wait till it's irreversible to reverse it. So I thank you for those reversals this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was really good, wasn't it? Let's give Randall a big hand.